Good morning. Man, I am so grateful. We had a little conversation in the back. We, we weren't pla- placing any bets, but we were trying to figure out how many people will actually show up to church today. And I think I won, you guys in the back. So there's a, I'm so proud of you guys for being here this morning. Um, but before I start uh, my message, um, the Bible says to give honor and show honor to uh, uh, those who, um, who serve us. And we want to give honor to where honor is due this morning. And today, I just want to celebrate and honor our pastor, Pastor Dustin, and his wife, Brooke, for five years of ministry here at this church. Can we just give them a round of applause? Pastor Dustin, can you come on up here? Uh, Brooke is in the back with our OBC kids, so we have some flowers down there, um, and we have a little gift for for you, just a a small appreciation, a little token of our appreciation for you. But Here's the thing, Pastor Dustin and Brooke, they, they mean so much to Jess and I, and they have shaped us in so many ways. But I, I have a little insight, because before Pastor Dustin came to this church, I remember him praying for what God would do here. I'm, I remember him just getting excited, talking about all the potential opportunities to spread the gospel in our community, and they would pray, and we would have all these conversations, and here's the thing, we've got to see God answer some of those prayers already in just five years. Praise God, and I mean, just yesterday, that was your vision of having doing outreach in our community, and just last night, we had three people who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so, and that was a vision of our pastor and his wife. And so, let us just honor him right now and Brooke and just give him a big round of applause again. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate you. Love you. Praise God. It's a blessing and an honor uh, to once again be on the platform, heralding to you the very breath of God. And I have to say, church family, I am so blessed. I know my family, we are so blessed to be a part of this church family. And I think what the pandemic has taught us is that. We cannot take for granted the blood-bought family that Christ has placed us into. And if you're watching online here, here's the deal. I'm going to be honest with you. We miss you. We want to see you. And we've taken every kind of precaution to be able to meet together. And uh, we just can't take that for granted. It's an incredible blessing of God. And if you're new this morning, I want to say welcome. Whether you're watching online or you're here today, um, we just want to come alongside you. We are a family. We believe that this whole faith journey is not meant to be walked alone. And so we want to come alongside you. So connect with us, whether it's a digital connection card or the one you have there. Just turn it in in the lobby. We just, we want to get to know you and come alongside your family. If you're new or if you haven't been here in the last few weeks, I just kind of want to catch you up on what we've been learning. We've been in this series entitled Family Foundation. Pastor Dustin has done a really great job teaching us the importance of one, being intentional. That's, that's the word, right? Intentional. Being intentional in laying a foundation for our families and for our marriages. But he's also taught us that we need to make sure that that foundation that we are laying is Jesus Christ and his gospel. If you missed last week's message on the topic of biblical marriage, I'm just going to go ahead and encourage you right now to make sure you go home and listen to that message. Um, It's one of those messages that you're going to have to like... You know, just listen to it a little bit at a time because there's so much truth. In a day and age that has convoluted the truths of God, and we need truth, especially in terms of a biblical marriage. And so I just suggest that you go to our website, orlandobaptist.com, and listen to that message. Now, about a month ago, Pastor Dustin came up to me, and he, and he gave me the assignment to preach on raising children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I started to chuckle myself. I'm not going to give you my reaction quite yet. I'll give it to you in just a second. But let me introduce you to my family before I talk about my response to Dustin. So this is my family here. Um, Jessica, my beautiful wife, sitting here on the third row. We've been married 13 years this May, May 10th. I got that right, right? Praise God. So um, 13 years this May. And this is We'll go in order here from my side. We have my oldest, Arabella, who is 10 years old. We have my son in the middle, who is, uh, his name's Caden. He is nine years old. He turned nine last week. We have Paisley, who is seven, going on 17. And then we have little Leo over there, our little Tasmanian devil. I mean, my son. 
um, and he's really great. So that's my family. My, when I told my wife that, that Dustin gave me the preaching assignment to, to preach on raising children, um, she started laughing at me. <laughs> and we actually, we kind of chuckled for about 30 minutes, just kind of cracking up. And I'll tell you why. We weren't laughing because I'm a bad parent or that she's a bad parent or that we're bad parents. We were laughing because we know that if there's anything godly in our children, anything that points to Christ in our children, that it has been the Lord. It has been the Lord. It has been Christ leading us as we lead our family. And so that's why we thought it was funny because we just completely and solely rely on the Lord to lead us. But here's a few things before I get into my message this morning that I think we need to understand. Maybe they're, they're words of caution as we process the message this morning. The first caution is this. Just because I'm preaching a, a message on raising children who set their hope in Christ, it doesn't mean, one, that if you do all these things, your, your children will be saved. Only God can do the saving, first and foremost. And two, that it doesn't mean that everything I'm preaching, that I get it right all the time. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let you in. Most of the time, I don't get it right. And, and the people around you that look like they're all put together, all the parrots, I'm just going to let you in. They don't get it right all the time for the most part. And so y'all can take a breather with me on three. One, two, three. <sighs> yeah, no one, there's no perfect people here in this building. You know, what parenting teaches us is that we are in desperate need of God's grace. What we learn in parenting is that God's grace truly is sufficient in parenting. That where we're weak in parenting, Christ is strong. And so this is, that's, that's my first caution to you. My second caution is this. I, I'm personally usually reluctant on telling people my rhythms and what we do as a family to raise our children in the Lord because I know one thing, that parenting isn't cookie cutter. It's not cookie cutter. I, I know there's different seasons and there's different family dynamics and there's, there are different schedules. And so here's what I want you to know as, we, as, as I share some of our rhythms and some of our, the resources my, my family and I use, I, I don't want you to think to yourself, well, if I don't do that, I'm a bad parent. Or if I don't do that, I'm not on the right track. Don't think that at all uh, because all of our rhythms are different. As a matter of fact, I will encourage you um, to gather your family together and, and create a custom version of, of, of your own biblical rhythms and surrounded around the truth of God and, and your family dynamics. And get your family involved in that and create a custom version of what this is going to look like in today's message. But lastly, I don't, it's not necessarily a word of caution, but just something to keep in mind. I would say that this whole series, the study on uh, family foundation, is really made to drive us to prayer. And I want you to get this. Only praying parents can walk through the weight and pangs of raising children without being crushed. If you're single this morning and you're thinking about one day starting a family, if you're newly married and considering having children, if you're married with children, or if you're a grandparent with grandbabies, I need you to commit to one thing with me. Prayer. I need you to commit to prayer, and I need you to get this. We're going to learn some practical ways we can disciple our families, but I want you to keep this in mind as a filter, okay? That whatever opposes prayer opposes the work of God in your family. Yeah. Let me say that again. Y'all got to get this. This is so important. That whatever opposes prayer opposes the work of God in your family. And so, those are the three words or three points of caution for you today as, as you listen to this message. But we're going to be in Psalm 78. So take a copy of God's word if you have it and turn to Psalm 78. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And this is um, not necessarily a, a familiar family passage, but one nonetheless that, that gives us a biblical framework that will help us point our children to set their hope in Jesus Christ. But here's how we're going to navigate this, this passage this morning. We're going to navigate it with three headings. Here are the three headings. One, parents that raise their children that set their hope in Christ must be Christ-saturated. 
Parents, too, that raise children that set their hope in Christ must be word-driven. And parents that raise children that set their hope in Christ must be prayer-filled. And so let us stand together if we can, and I'm just going to go ahead and read Psalm 78. This is the Word of God, the inerrant, infallible, authoritative breath of God. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Jesus. Because of him, we have the privilege to call you Heavenly Father. This morning, Lord, I pray that you would drive us to the gospel, that you would remind us truly that in parenting, your grace is sufficient. Lord, give us an urgency, Lord, to teach our children the words of God. Lord, give us a hunger to live lives as a family that are saturated with Jesus. And so, Lord, what we ask this morning is what we know not, Lord, teach us. What we are not, make us. And what we have not, Lord, give us. Your word is truth. So sanctify us in your truth, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So let's look at this first heading. Parents that raise their children that set their hope in Christ must be Christ-saturated. So I just want to read these first three verses again. And this is what it says. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Now, if you're one of those people who highlights and underlines in your Bible or on your phone, this is your time. I want you to notice five words here in these three verses. Give ear and incline your ears. If you have a highlighter or if you're on, if you're on your phone, I just want you to highlight that. Give ear and incline your ears. The psalmist Asaph is beginning this psalm by emphasizing an important point. That as Christians, we must be a kind of peculiar people who heed the instruction of God and all we do if we are going to be Christ-saturated. If our desire is to raise children who set their hope in Christ, then we must be a people who give ear to God's teaching and incline our ears to the words of his mouth. Now, I have to let you in on this, on this Hebrew word for give ears. This Hebrew word for give ears doesn't just mean for us to listen, but it also means for us to hearken. Or in other words, it means to hear it and then obey the words of God. Hear the word and then carry it out. You know, I had the, the privilege to be a youth pastor for a few years, and one reoccurring complaint from my students in relation to their parents was that they didn't practice what they preached. They didn't practice what they preached. So I centered, and if you were a youth leader with me, you know this, I, I centered our whole youth ministry around discipling parents who would live out their faith in order that their children would do the same. But we started with the parents. And I think to understand what it means to be Christ-saturated can be dwindled down to this one word, disciple. To be a devoted disciple who makes disciples. This is what it means to be Christ-saturated. That we are learning and following and permeating every moment honoring the Lord. 
But I believe that, first and foremost, discipleship starts at home. And this is why Paul, when laying out the the qualifications for a pastor in 1 Timothy, before he ever gets to church qualifications and teaching, he starts with home qualifications. And here's what he says. He says, hey, the guy who wants to be your pastor, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, not just to what mom and dad says, but to the word of God. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I.e., discipleship starts at home. What I love about the book that we're giving out in the lobby, and there's still a ton of books, so y'all pick them up. It's such a good resource. I'll be talking about it some more today. But the book that we are handing out in the lobby, it defines family discipleship in this way, and I love their definition. It says this. It says that family discipleship is leading your home by doing whatever you can, whenever you can, to help your family become friends and followers of Christ. I don't want you to miss this. Whatever, whenever, all the time. So whether you're cooking breakfast before school or you're taking your children to school in the car or you're listening intently to the struggles of your child's day, here's what he means. Saturate every single moment with Christ-centered, Christ-intentional discipleship opportunities. Those moments are opportunities for us. To be Christ-saturated in your families, it just simply means to permeate every moment you have to sing of the truths of God and the goodness of God, to instruct them in truth, to pray, to, to drive our families to prayer, and to ultimately lead our families to hope in Christ. But what I love about the definition that this book gave It tells us what the end goal is. It says the end goal of family discipleship, I don't want y'all to miss this, the end goal of family discipleship is that Jesus would become what? A friend to your child. And then a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, when I think of teenagers, I think of friends. I think the worst thing you can do to a teenager is ground them from seeing their friends. When I was in high school, that's the worst thing you could possibly do to me is ground me from my friends. And so this definition is trying to tell us that we want the kind of family discipleship that that your your students or, excuse me, your children would go to Jesus with all of their concerns, that, that Jesus would be their greatest confidant. That they would go to him with praises and that they would go with them with with the griefs that are in their lives. And I think this is important, that that Jesus must be a friend to our children. My wife and I, we were just talking about this recently, and, and we believe that it's more important to ensure that the hearts of our children are stirred for Jesus in the early stages of parent discipleship than it is to fill their heads with facts about the Bible. Did y'all catch that? Did I say it too fast? We want the hearts of our children to be stirred for Jesus in the early stages of parent discipleship before we fill their heads with facts about the Bible. Now, before you count me off as a heretic, I want you to to know my heart. If if you know me well, you know my heart for, for biblical truth and theology. But here's what I learned. I learned as a parent so far in, in all of these years, and I, and I learned as a youth pastor, and I learned from my, my, my mentors that are much older than me, that there must be a heart change before there's a mind transformation. There must be a heart change. We must, as a family, point our children to the heart and kindness of Christ, primarily. Romans 2 plainly tells us that it's God's kindness that will lead us to repentance. And so we must saturate our lives and our rhythms with Christ's heart in everything we do. So so here's what this means. Practically, being Christ-saturated, it doesn't mean that we fill our schedules with a bunch of church programs 
It just means that every single moment of our day is filled with the heart of Christ. Every moment. I think this is the foundation of raising children who set their hope in Christ. They must know his heart if they're going to love them with all their hearts. They must know the heart of Christ. And the best way we can teach Christ's heart, because you're probably thinking, okay, Arthur, so how do you do that? I'm glad you asked. The best way we can teach Christ's heart is how we love our children. In the quiet moments, at home, or in the important milestones of their lives. As a matter of fact, just the other day, I was in my bed, and, and my kids all jumped in the bed, and, and they just started to wrestle. I love wrestling my kids, and, and we were wrestling, and, and I'm not going to say which kid this was, but they had really long legs, and they kicked me directly in my nose, and like, it, really hard. I, I'm, I think I'm going to put her in martial arts, but um, uh, they kicked me in the nose. I, we were cracking up. I kind of body slammed her, and then I started tickling her because I, I think I did it too hard. And then we were just tickling. We were just having just a moment. Everybody was laughing. And, and parents, we know our children's tickle spot, right? So we, if you're right there, in the, if you're standing by your child, you can just poke them because you know where it is, right? But this is, we just had this incredible moment. We were laughing. And we were just enjoying ourselves. And at this moment, church, I realized that the best way we can teach Christ's heart is through what I like to call tickle theology. Yeah. You ever heard about that theology? Tickle theology. It is in this moment with my children on my unmade bed that I painted the picture of Christ's heart for them. It is in these tickle fights where my children learn to delight in God, to find pleasure in his heart, and to find joy in his presence. So here's my question to you. When's the last time you've done this? When's the last time you just laughed with your children? I don't care what age they are. When's the last time you hug them. When's the last time you, you cried with them? The psalmist says here, church, give ear to God's teaching. Incline your ears to the words of his mouth. So that means just to saturate your lives, saturate your schedules, not just by talking to them, but displaying to them the love and grace and mercy and joy of Christ. We need to display it. They need to see God's heart. They need to experience his heart. And we do that by showing it to them in those moments. So I believe that parents that raise their children, that set, parents that raise children that set their hope in Christ must be Christ-saturated. But I also believe that they must be word-driven. I want to read these next few verses. It says this, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So the psalmist here is, is making another emphatic point on the importance of our families being word-driven, or in other words, teaching our children the word of God. I want you to notice here in these few verses that he mentions teaching and telling six times in six verses. Six times in six verses. So the psalmist, in other words, is, is pointing us to teaching, to teaching as the centrality of raising our children who set their hope in Christ. This is central to discipling our families. Or we can put it this way, that from our teaching will come their knowing Christ. From our teaching will come their knowing. And so Romans 10 is not typically a passage that I've heard uh, used uh, in relation to family discipleship, but I think we need to hear it this morning because... It absolutely applies to what we're talking about this morning. And y'all know this passage, I'm sure. But for those who don't, this is Romans 10, 14 through 17. Here's what it says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, we love this passage in context of missions and outreach. But friends, we must first care about evangelizing our own families before we attempt to reach the lost outside of our homes. How sad is it if we reach hundreds and thousands for Christ, but our children go astray. And we've, we've fallen short, and I'm praising God for his grace in this because I know some of us have fallen into this. But may our hearts break at that thought. I know mine does. But faith, Romans 10 says, comes through hearing the word of Christ. But I love the way that the psalmist splits up telling in this passage. He splits up telling in two ways, teaching and testimony. That's how we tell our children, teaching and testimony. The scripture here teaches us not only to teach the law, but to tell of all the glorious deeds of the Lord, right? That's what it says, and the wonders that he has done. In other words, don't just teach the law, but take it from black and white to full color and tell them all that God has done for you and all that God can do for them if they trust in him. And listen, here's where it starts. It starts with your testimony. Tell them, tell them about all that God has done for you in your life, that you were blind, but now you see that you were spiritually dead, but now you're made alive together with Christ. And let me just add a, another layer to that that's more practical. Tell them about what God is doing in your life every day when you meet together. Say, man, I met this person and God is working in their life. Tell them about how God came through last month and we were kind of struggling and God came through and he provided. Tell your These are just basic ways to tell of all the glorious deeds that God has done. They need to hear that. They need to hear about how God is saving people in our church. Tell them, give them a name. Praise God. We want them to know that God can do it. We want them to know that God can do it. Testimonies are so important. Revelation 12, 11a says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Acts 4.33 says, And with great power the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And then I love Luke 8.39. Jesus sends these legions into pigs, and they all drown. Very interesting story. But this guy wants to stay with Jesus, and he says to the guy, No, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away. What did he do? Proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Praise God. We need to tell our children all that God is doing. Keep them in the loop every time you meet. Have them join in with you in the praises of God. But at the same time, we can't neglect taking our children through the word of God. And I would add as a layer of clarity that we must teach our children the importance of the Bible. That the Bible really is how God reveals himself to us with authority. And if we tell our children that God is more important than anything, then that means that the Bible is more important than anything except God himself. We need to teach them that the word of God is infallible and inerrant and authoritative. They need to know that. And, and there's a lot of books that we go through with our children, but we need to live in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Spurgeon says, hey, visit many books, but live in the Bible. And that applies to family. Live in the Bible. And, and uh, a man by the name of John Piper, he talks about this. He talks about the importance and the centrality of the Bible in our families. And he, and he puts it this way. I love this, by the way. He says, it means 
The Bible will be the sun in the solar system of all that we teach our children. It will not be one among many books. It will be the central book, the all-permeating book. The other books are dark planets. The Bible is the light-giving sun. All other books will be read in light of this book. All books will be judged by this book. All books will find meaning in the worldview built by this book, which means that this book must be known first and known better than all the other books. Praise God. Psalm 78.5 says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded who? Our fathers to teach their children. In other words, we, we weren't made parents to just consume the word of God for ourselves. We were made to teach it to our children. Ephesians 6, 4 says that we need to bring our kids up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. We need to instruct them in the testimony and teaching of God. But here's the thing that I know for sure. I know some of you guys are like, well, Pastor Arthur, I don't know where to start. I, I, I don't know how to go through the Bible in a systematic way. I, I, there's a lot of things I, I, I really don't know how to explain. Well, here's the great thing. There are a lot of aids out there, a lot of resources that can help you. And my, my wife and I, we've tried so many different resources, but one recently that we, just over this last year that we've used with our children that we really love is called the New City Catechism. And the New City Catechism is, was written and put together by Tim Keller and some others, and it comes in a book format, or you can download the app. I highly suggest, parents, that you download this app. It's incredible. And this word catechism might scare some people. Every time I bring it up, they, they, they relate it to Catholicism, and, but Catechism is very much a Protestant thing. As a matter of fact, the word catechism comes from the New Testament word katecheo. You know what it means? To teach and instruct. That's all that it means. But I love this because a catechism is just simply uh, biblical doctrines assembled in a question and answer format. And so what I love about the New City Catechism uh, book and the app is that it provides everything you need to instruct your children. So for example, it'll have a question and answer like, um, it'll say, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. That's the answer. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And with every question and answer, there's a scripture verse where that comes from. And that verse is their memory verse for the week. And, and then maybe you're like, well, I don't know how to explain maybe that doctrine. Well, the good thing is they have commentary in the app that help you, and they, they explain to you how to explain it to your children. And then they have a prayer prompt where you can pray through this question and answer. And lastly, I think my favorite is that they have songs that go along with all of these catechisms. And I think that's my favorite part. I think Jess knows that. There is one I can't get out of my head, and it's about prayer. It says, prayer is pouring out, pouring out our hearts to God. I don't know. I just love it. It's so simple. But we talk about it all the time, and we sing it. And so what our family has done, again, rhythms will change, but what we do is we read it on Monday. We get our family together on Mondays, and we go through uh, one question and answer and we read it and we pray it and we explain it and we memorize it and we sing it and then all week long we're just jamming to the songs and then what we do is what I, I think what we found to be interesting is that our kids ask more questions about about the doctrine or about the verse and that's what I love so we're dialoguing about it all week long we're talking about these doctrines and about these scriptures and so and, and then at the end of the week usually we'll have some sort of incentive for, for memorizing it. And so we take them out for ice cream, right? So, but make it fun. Make it fun. Let it permeate everything, right? I think I'll take them out to ice cream just as like they have too much ice cream, but I do it anyway. But, um, but we, just, we just love to have fun with it. I, I really suggest that you get that uh, book or that app. You can download it in the App Store or Android Store. Um, but th this is a tool that we found to be very helpful. But the other tool um, that I, I want to suggest to you this morning is the book that our church is handing out in the lobby called Family Discipleship. And I think, I think we have to know that if we don't plan 
intentionally, if we don't plan discipleship moments intentionally, the reality is, is we're not going to do it. If we don't plan it out, more times than not, we're not going to do it. It's like, it's like if my wife were to send me to the grocery store without a grocery list. I'll come back with everything else except the one thing I'm supposed to bring back, right? We got to make sure it's written down. And so this little diagram here um, is actually in the book. It's, it's essentially a schedule, and, and it allows us to, it has like an example. Here's the example, and, and it kind of gives us an idea of how to, to set a schedule for our week, how to prioritize discipleship moments and moments to sing and teach and learn with our children. And, and so here's what we did for you. Um, actually, Tina put it in the app, in our OBC app, so you can, you can see it there, but we also also printed out uh, uh, one of these, and we got a bunch in the lobby. So if you want to pick them up in the lobby, I, I suggest that you do that. If you want to really up, up it up a notch a little bit, if you want to take it up a notch a little bit, you can, you can blow it up and maybe laminate it and get your kids to kind of write in. Get the family involved right in those moments. Get them excited about reading and singing and learning the Word of God. And so this is just, just one practical way, but I think the idea is this, that intentional family discipleship, I think, is this, that, that this will be the key to a family culture that is word-driven. Intentional family discipleship will be the key to a family culture that is word-driven. And I think the goal behind teaching and instructing our families with the Word of God is ultimately to shape their minds to have a biblical Worldview. They need a biblical worldview. And so we try to do all that we can as a church to try to help you with resources and just really practical ways. For example, the Easter kit, right? The Easter kit that you saw in the announcement video. We're giving those out at OBC Kids for the next two weeks. And then uh, the third week, it'll be in the lobby. But it, those are just great moments to just reflect on Passion Week. Go through it with your children. Do the activity. Schedule it. Make it a priority. You want your kids to have special moments learning about the Word of God. And so, and so that's just another resource that we're offering. But I think the reality is, is that I think we all know that something is shaping the minds of our children, right? Something is. But may it be our prayer that it would be the Word of God that would shape their minds. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? How? By the renewal of your mind. It's only through this that our children will be able to test and discern what the will of God is, what is good and what's acceptable and what is perfect. And so if we want our children to know the will of God for their lives, well, they must be taught the word of God. Because the will of God is revealed through the word of God. And so if we want them to know what's good and what's acceptable and what is perfect, then we have to prioritize teaching them the scriptures. It's vital, church. It's vital. How vital? How vital is it? Well, Psalm 78 tells us how vital it really is. Here's what it says. This is after the verses that, that say, if you do this, this will help point them to hope in Christ. But here's verse 8, a warning that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And we're seeing that in our culture, aren't we? We're seeing families fall apart, our children losing any kind of biblical worldview of identity. But it starts with family. It starts with the family. So we must shape their minds through God's word if we're going to point them to Christ. But the last point is this, church family. Parents that raise children that set their hope in Christ must be prayer-filled. Must be prayer-filled. Uh, the climax and the purpose 
of all of those seven, all of those six verses lead up to verse seven. And verse seven says, so that they should set their hope in God. If you have your Bibles, look down at them. This is important because this is the climate. This is the purpose of teaching and testimonies and being Christ-saturated. That they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The aim of all knowledge is made to ultimately set our hope in God. All of our laborings, investing, teaching, time, resources are all for one single reason. That our children's hope would be set in Christ. That our children would hide the words of Christ in their heart when he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit, as Pastor already read. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The greatest thing prayer teaches our children is that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Our aim for our children, my aim for my children, is that they would abandon all other false hopes that the world throws at them. For the one true and living hope, the one true vine, Jesus Christ, And we must get them to Christ. We must lead them to Christ. We must parent them to Christ. But I love that the psalmist says that once we teach, give testimony, saturate our lives with with Christ, our goal is that they would set their hope in God. And once they set their hope in God, that they would not forget the works of God. And keep his commandments. And that was intentional. That they must set their hopes in God before they follow his commandments. And so oftentimes we get this backwards. And we try to get them to follow his commandments without them first setting their hope in Christ. (laughs) And that can be devastating. The psalmist is implying here that only after our children set their hope in God. Then and only then. Will outward obedience not be legalistic conformity to external pressures and expectations? We must get them to Christ. We must have their confidence set in the hope of God. We can teach them. We can invest in them. We can provide for them. But one thing we cannot do is save them. And that's hard for me because I want them to know Jesus. I want them to be saved by the same grace that was given to me. We can't save them. Only God can make the spiritually dead alive. Why do I bring that up? We need to pray. (laughs) Friends, regardless of where you are in the stage of family, you can begin right now to pray that God would save generations in your family. You want to know why? Because he's able. Please pray for generations that they would be saved, that they would know Christ. Saturate every single moment you have with your children, every conversation, every meal, every milestone, every moment with needy prayer. Show them that without God, it's impossible to know him. It's impossible to have hope in him without the work of his spirit. What I love about prayer is that, unlike the other practical ways, it can't be confined to structure. That's why the Bible says we need to pray without ceasing. Prayer is like breathing. We can't schedule breathing, right? We got to breathe. And that's what prayer is like. We must saturate every single moment with needy prayer. If your family is in disarray right now and you don't even know where to start, I'll give you a starting place, prayer. Pray this morning, God, save my child. Pray, God, bring the prodigal son home. And here's the deal. Pray that with them. 
When you go to prayer, pray, God, save Arabella, save Caden. Open their eyes, Lord, to see how beautiful you really are. When I do bedtime with my children, I pray that. I pray that with them. And I pray for the salvation of others. I pray for others by name, that they would know. The reason I do that, I do it intentionally. And the reason I do that, so they would know that only Christ can save them. Pray. And teach your children to love prayer. Teach your children to depend on prayer. How do you do that, Arthur? Pray. Pray. My daughter, Bella, I was just telling Pastor Dustin this the other day. She prays for, for people by name for salvations. And unfortunately, the list is getting longer and longer. But I love that she just prays for them by name. And, it, it, and it's not just at bedtime. It's every single time that we pray. She's praying this long list of, of, of asking God to save people. And then, thank you for this food. Amen. It's like 20 minutes later, you know, and, what, I, and, and I went to Dustin once and I said, Dustin, should I like tell her to just say, Lord, I, all those that are lost, you know, that they would come to Christ? And he said, no. He said, that's a good thing. Pastor said, that's a good thing. He goes, you need to be doing that. <laughs> and I was like, conviction, thank you. You're right. And I love it. Because she knows that only Jesus can save those people. And I love that she knows that. I love that she knows that daddy can't save them. But only Christ can. So parents, my last challenge to you is this. Abandon all your hopes that are found in methods. And replace them with fervent, needy, and desperate prayer for God to intervene in power. Prayer is going to help you fix your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith. And this morning, parent, if you're failing, I want you to know this. God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. And this is why we need the gospel at the forefront of our minds every day. Because it reminds us that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And so this morning, I'm going to challenge you to pray for this to prepare for it and to begin to practice some of these things in your family. And in just a moment, I want you to get with your families wherever they are. And here's my challenge. I want you to get with your families and, and, and your children right where you are, right where you are. And I want you to pray for these things. Lord, saturate our families with Jesus. Lord, help us to be hungry for your truth. And help us to declare your mighty deeds. And Lord, help us to be a praying family who depends on you. So right now, here's what I want you to do. Just bow your head. Get your families together. And, and, and children, I want you to partake in this. Don't just let mom and dad pray. But I want you to get involved in this. So let's just go ahead right now in prayer. And then I'll, I'll close us out. Lord, we acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, we are grateful. Your grace is, is sufficient. 
that when we fail, that we know, Lord, that your grace abounds. Lord, this morning, I specifically want to ask you to break some of the the bondage in some of our families in our church. Break the chains, Lord. Break those chains, Lord, and saturate us with Jesus. Drive us to your word. And may our families be prayer-filled, Lord, depending on your spirit. And right now, I just want to ask, while your heads are bowed and eyes closed, if there's anyone in this room who has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who has never set their hope in Christ, who has never repented of their sins and called out for a Savior by grace through faith in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. If you've never set your hope in Christ this morning, I just want you to raise your hand and say, today I want to place my faith in Jesus. I need Jesus. I know some of you guys that are in here, maybe parents or children, you're reluctant to respond because you're, you're scared about what, what life might look like following Jesus. But I want to ask one more time, if you've never trusted in Christ to be your hope and Savior, the forgiver of all your sins, the only one who can offer you eternal life. If you want to place your faith this morning in this Jesus, I just want you to go ahead and raise your hand. Lord, we thank you again for your goodness, and we thank you, Lord, for teaching us this morning through your word. God, I just pray, Lord, that we would heed your instruction. We would give, ear, give ears, Lord, to the to the instruction of, of your word, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to transform us and mold us and begin to restore our families. But may we never forget, Lord, that we cannot do it without you. We need you at the center. May we be a needy people, I pray, especially in parenting. May we be a needy people. We thank you, Lord, and we give you glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.